Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And welcome to the Water Cooler, everybody. Glad you're with us. I'm David Brody. Hope you had a great weekend. Uh, As for me, I went way over my daily carb allowance. All right. uh, Today, it's Monday, June 14, 2021. And by the way, I I hear Donald Trump speaking to me in my IFB. He is saying this, don't you dare bury the lead story today. So alas, before we get to the news of the day, a quick mention that today is Donald Trump's 75th birthday. Do your own little Trump YMCA dance at home, please, privately, uh, in honor of the fourth, fourth, 45th president of the United States. And now to the news. Israel has a new prime minister. Bibi is bye-bye. Welcome, Naftali Bennett, to the world stage. What can Israelis, Americans, and specifically Israel-loving evangelicals Expect from the new prime minister, we head to Israel to talk with Joel Rosenberg. Also, Biden-Putin, the big summit this week. Hopefully someone will alert Biden to that news. Or maybe he's busy still calling Syria Libya. Oigavolt, more later. And is apple pie going to be canceled? Have you heard this? Apparently, I kid you not, some liberals are complaining that apple pie apparently has racist roots. Folks. Someone give me a giant bottle of Tums. We will explain. And speaking of Tums, how about Elon Omar? A new move by Republicans to censure her and the entire squad, by the way, for anti-American and anti-Israel comments after Omar accused the U.S. of backing crimes against humanity and AOC accused Israel of committing human rights abuses. Then there is talk of House Minority Leader, Leader excuse me, Kevin McCarthy making a move to strip Elon Omar of her assignment on the Foreign Relations Committee. I want to get some reaction to that and other news items of the day with Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, who joins us in studio. Congresswoman, great to see you again. Oh, it's great to see you, too, and I'm so happy to be here. Well, I have got to start with uh, Omar for a moment. Uh, Pelosi, there's just been no action from her on Omar. She loves taking action against you and other Republicans, but on Omar, nothing. What's What's your take on that? Well, uh, Speaker Pelosi, she's got to keep all of her gang together because, as you know, she has the thinnest majority that the Democrats have held in Congress in decades. Mm -hmm. And so she's, you know, she basically has no soul. Mm -hmm. She's so busy selling out anything she possibly can to keep her group together Mm -hmm. so that they can win and defeat Republicans, all of us in Congress, Mm -hmm. that she's willing to just bend over backwards to anti-Semites like Ilhan Omar. Mm-hmm. Um, who, who truly has offended everyone with her horrible comments comparing our great American military and, and Israel's military to mm-hmm. terrorist groups. And, yeah. and what an insult. Um, so, so, yeah, it's, it's the typical, typical double standard from Nancy Pelosi. Yeah. And um, I think everyone sees right through it. Let me ask you a little bit. You're here. I want to give you a chance. The critics are always after you. And there is this petition, the change.org. I don't know who these people are. Anyhow, it's probably move on something. Anyhow, the point is, as you can see it there, there's a petition to expel you from Congress, already more than 200,000 signatures. What's your, what's your message to people like this that are trying to, to do this stuff to you? 
Well, this is this is all put together by leftist groups, right? Mm -hmm. Organized PACs, um, PACs like Lincoln Project, right. you know, so-called Republicans, but we really know who they are. They're they're Democrats. Mm -hmm. uh, these are these are funded, and they send these out and get people to sign. Uh, it's funny that it's two hundred thousand signatures. If you go to WhiteHouse.com, I actually have a petition on there to mm -hmm. to uh, impeach Nancy Pelosi back from twenty eighteen that has I think over four hundred thousand signatures. <laughs> so I really don't care about that. Yeah. Change.org petition, yeah. and neither does my district. That's just leftists, um, you know, probably Antifa card-carrying members that signed that one, and, and, you know, BLM domestic terrorists that signed that Change.org petition, and mm -hmm. it doesn't mean anything because, you know, here's what we have to do, David. Mm -hmm. We have to lead, and this mm -hmm. country is in trouble right now. We have out-of-control inflation. We have wide-open borders. Mm -hmm. We have a president that doesn't know what he's doing from minute to minute and is embarrassing us on an international, international stage mm -hmm. at the G7 conference, and, and every time he speaks... Um, we have we are a country that has been devastated by a virus that came out of China. Mm -hmm. China lied, and so did Dr. Fauci. Mm -hmm. And and this is where we are today. We have a generation of children that have been set back for for a year because of schools being shut down. Families have been devastated. Small businesses have, have failed and closed mm -hmm. because of these shutdowns. That's the truth, and that's where we are as a nation. And we need Congress to get its act together. We don't need to add to our near $30 trillion in debt. Mm -hmm. We have to do our job as members of Congress, as the American taxpayers pay us to do. And we need to lead this country, protect our Constitution and our freedoms, and we can definitely do that. What do you think of Biden's overseas trip so far? He's going to meet with Putin on Wednesday. Uh, are you looking forward to that? You're going to have some popcorn in front of the television? <laughs> right. So, yeah, it's um, President Biden, unfortunately, is an embarrassment. Mm -hmm. he, he really is an embarrassment to our country. Everyone sees it. They mm -hmm. see America as weak with Joe Biden leading in the White House, but he's really not leading. Mm -hmm. And who is leading? Is Kamala Harris leading? And what is she leading? It's She's, a legitimate question. It is a legitimate question. Yeah, who wonder. is leading? Mm -hmm. Is it? Is it? Dr. Jill Biden sitting at her desk doing notes for the G7 summit. Mm -hmm. And and I'm sure, you know, Russia is like, okay, bring it on, Joe. What are you going to have to say to us? And I don't think they really care. Yeah. And that is what is truly alarming for Americans all over is we need to get under control. And right now our nation is out of control mm -hmm. with, with woke theories like critical race theory with with you know here's our kids trying to get back on track with education and you know they're so far behind mm -hmm. and and then here's you know they don't even know what gender is anymore they don't know what male and female and and they're trying to make our military woke when when the whole goal of our military is to defend our country and mm -hmm. and they're you know they're one team people you know they always say the military is um, they're trying to get out the radicals and, and accusing people of being racist. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, no one's racist and no one's against one another in the military. They train together like brothers and sisters. Right. And, and we've got to remember who we are. We're the greatest country in the world. Mm -hmm. This is the only place in the world where no matter where you start in life, you can work hard and truly become something amazing. And, mm -hmm. and that's what we should take pride in. And, and so I've, I've had a lot of positivity lately, um, just been in prayerful thought about where we need to go for our country, and mm -hmm. we need to treat America like our home, and we need to make sure it is a safe, 
good place for our children and, and we need to keep out all the bad stuff and we all need to come together and fix this nonsense. Uh, I 100% I agree with you on that. I want to show you something from Fulton County, Georgia. This yeah. has to do with the 2020 election. You probably know about it. Well, you know about the 2020 election, don't we all? Yes. Uh, but take a look at this uh, headline. This is the Georgia election official now acknowledging a chain of custody, custody documents are actually missing from the 2020 absentee ballots, and that gets to about 18,000 or so absentee ballots. Biden won the state, won, a lot of people putting that in air quotes, by 12,000 votes. This potentially seems like a, a game changer. Media is ignoring it. Well, the media wants to ignore it, yeah. but this is a real issue. Fulton County, there, I've, I've talked to a lot of people, and mm -hmm. I'm very interested in that case. Mm -hmm. And I tell you why. Real election fraud occurred. And I very much look forward to seeing the evidence come out. I've already talked to people. I've seen some of it. Mm -hmm. There, It is a big deal. You think and, it's going to get bigger then? Oh, I think this one's going to explode. Mm. And there's, you know, Atlanta is located in Fulton County. Yeah. And if you're like me, I li have lived in Georgia my entire life. And you know Fulton County has a lot of problems. And that is not just about our uh, November 2020 election for mm -hmm. the president and our two Senate seats that goes all the way into the city of Atlanta. So I, I am I am on board and watching that one big time. Uh, we've got less than two minutes left. What, what's okay. your sense of what the DOJ and Merrick Garland are doing? They, apparently they're sending out lawyers. They're, they're making the Arizona audit into this whole big deal. What, what what's why are they doing this? Uh, Marjorie well, Taylor I think they're very concerned. Uh, he, maybe he's concerned mm. about his new job, wouldn't you think? Mm. So if mm. you won by 81 million votes mm -hmm. and, and you won that big, especially mm -hmm. after no one came out for excitement for you, would you be concerned about election audits? Right. I don't think so. Mm -hmm. But evidently um, there's big pressure coming from the top telling the Department of Justice Telling Merrick Garland, you got to keep your eye on the ball here, and the ball sure is bouncing around a lot. And I just cannot wait to see where it lands. Let me ask you before we—I've got less than a minute left. Okay. Uh, how, how's the relationship with Kevin McCarthy? I've always wondered about this. How is that? Because, you know, he—he's tried to come. He's coming under some pressure sometimes from some of the things that you have said. Uh, how is that relationship? How would you characterize that? Well, he's not someone I know very well, okay. um, so we don't we don't do a whole lot of talking. I, I'm just, I stay focused on what I'm doing and what I'm working on. I stay focused on the American people because I truly believe this is people over politicians mm -hmm. and that is our job to put them first. And, and so I don't get involved in the drama. I, I have a drama-free policy. Mm -hmm. I was never one of those like in high school or middle school. Mm -hmm. And that's what Congress <laughs> can be like a lot of times. And so I'm just excited about doing good work. No fact check on that. That is accurate for sure. Marjorie <laughs> Taylor Greene, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me really today. Really appreciate it. All right, when we come back, Joel Rosenberg from Israel, specifically Jerusalem, talking about Naftali Bennett. Bibi is gone. What does it mean for evangelicals, Israelis obviously, Americans writ large, when Naftali Bennett takes center stage in the world? Back in a moment. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. As we told you at the top of the show, big, big news uh, across the globe. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, no longer the prime minister of Israel. The Israeli Knesset uh, voting uh, for, in essence, a new coalition, shifting Netanyahu into the opposition. Uh, Naftali Bennett, now the prime minister of Israel. I want to get some reaction to that from uh, Joel Rosenberg, editor-in-chief of All Israel News. Joel, great to have you back on the show, sir. Great to be with you, David. Shalom from Jerusalem. Shalom. Uh, tell me a little bit about the new political maneuvering here. What does it mean for Israel? What does it mean for America? Yeah. Well, it is a razor-thin uh, government. I mean, it is literally 60 to 59 um, with two abstentions. So you, you, it, it doesn't get any closer than this. Um, Naftali Bennett is 49 years old. He's a former elite special forces commando, uh, a, a tremendously successful entrepreneur, sold one company for 145 million, another company for 130 million, very successful. And then he entered politics with Netanyahu, was his chief of staff, went on to become the education minister, uh, the economy minister, and then the defense minister. So he's very well prepared, except he's not Netanyahu. Right. I mean, Netanyahu is a global statesman, uh, you know, and so the drop from skill set, no matter who it is, I'm not this is not being critical of Naftali Bennett. It's just Bibi Netanyahu is here and anyone else is significantly below. So it's a huge challenge, not just to lead Israel at a time like this, Iran threats, all kinds of problems in the region, terror, uh, Gaza wars, but also when you have no margin for error. Uh, in in your parliament. So, so, uh, so, well, let me ask you, Joel, real quick. So does this, what is he like policy-wise as it relates to Netanyahu? Is this close to a Benjamin Netanyahu 2.0 in terms of policy? I'm talking policy here. Yeah. You know, uh, Naftali Bennett, the new prime minister, is a spitting image of Benjamin Netanyahu. He is literally the protege. Netanyahu was the mentor. They had a falling out, a very bitter falling out. Uh, and now Netanyahu is, you know, attacking Bennett as a, as a liar and a fraud and all kinds of terrible things. But it's because the protege has just, in a Shakespearean move, has taken over the role of, of the master. And, uh, mm. and so, so Bennett has learned from the best political operator. But is that who he is? Is he able to negotiate this way? But on policy, it's a 100% match. Uh, to Netanyahu. Well, speaking of policy, let's talk about that Iran nuclear deal. Uh, we see a headline over here from Just the News saying Israel, Israel's uh, Bennett, Naftali Bennett, says renewing the Iran nuclear deal, it, deal is a mistake as U.S. resumes negotiations. Uh, give us your sense of overseas of what's going on there. Right. So this will be one of Bennett's biggest challenges, right? It's not just uh, can he handle the military threat from Iran. He is a former commando. He was the defense minister, and he's got a great team around him, right? His challenge will be dealing not with Iran, but with the United States. The good news is that uh, President Joe Biden, within two hours of Bennett being sworn in last night here in Israel, in Jerusalem, uh, called Bennett and congratulated him. They had a very good and warm conversation. That's good. But what if Bennett has to challenge Joe Biden, the way Netanyahu had to challenge Biden's uh, success, predecessor, a, um, um, you know, Barack Obama.
that's going to be challenging, right? Because Bennett and his team, they want it to be warm as best they can with Washington. Uh, they want to reset U.S.-Israeli relations so it doesn't seem too Republican, though they do love the pro-Israel side on the Republicans. But they need to strengthen the pro-Israel forces on the Democratic side. So they're not looking for a fight with Biden. But Iran and how Biden is leading in, in, in a dangerous way right now on Iran could yeah, for sure. Hey, Joel, uh, evangelicals, uh, they really had a, a kinship, if you will, with Netanyahu. I mean, it, it just seemed like they, it was just a, a wonderful relationship overall. Uh, and you've got uh, an exclusive up at All Israel News saying major evangelical leaders congratulate and vow to pray for the new prime minister, Naftali Bennett, while also thanking Netanyahu for his extraordinary accomplishments. Give us a sense of the lay of the land from Israel's biggest supporters, which are evangelicals. Absolutely. Nobody uh, courted and cultivated uh, evangelical Christian support uh, more than Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. And therefore, not only because of policy, but because of personal relationships, he was trusted and he was being loved. And that remains. Um, but yes, our lead story on all Israel news is, and we're getting more statements uh, every few hours by the biggest names in American evangelicalism, um, and they are supporting this new prime minister and this new government, um, and they're giving unconditional love and support to the new nation of Israel. But they do miss Netanyahu, and you can see it as, as people read the, the article on allisrael.com, you'll see that people are like, look, it, it's hard to say goodbye um, now, of course, Bibi Netanyahu isn't saying goodbye. He's joined. He is the leader of the opposition, and he has vowed to bring this government down. So, I don't know that we've seen the last of Bibi Netanyahu yet. You don't want to write his obituary anytime soon. Is there a possibility that Bibi could somehow come back into power if if things start to fall apart for Bennett? Absolutely. If this government were to fall apart, and it would take one person, one member of the of the coalition saying i'm out for whatever reason or getting sick you know or going on vacation or god forbid you're in the restroom a little too long you call a no confidence motion the whole thing comes down and we go to a fifth election and that's what netanyahu is hoping for right he believes that naftali bennett is not ready for this yeah maybe the protege but there's a steep learning curve and netanyahu is planning to use every trick in the book to to derail Bennett and try to send us to another election. Very interesting. Uh, Joel, I really appreciate your insight. I, next time I have you on, I want to talk a little bit more about Naftali Bennett and his relationship or lack thereof with evangelicals and whether or not he has to start from scratch on that and kind of where that's at. But we'll, we'll talk about it. So thank you. Happy to do it. I'll just know one quick yeah, thing. Go ahead. Both John Hagee, the founder of Christians yeah. United for Israel, and former Ambassador Nikki Haley, huge pro-Israel, uh, wonderful evangelical. They are here in Israel right now, and uh, they met with Foreign Minister Yair Lapid today to uh, to stand with Okay, important and significant for sure. Nikki Haley always been a big backer of Israel. All right, Joel, thank you so much. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. All right, uh, Joel Rosenberg from Jerusalem, one of my favorite cities in the entire world. My people are there. Back in a moment with Paul Fari from The Washington Post. <laughs> 
Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. everybody. Hey, look, uh, Joe Biden uh, overseas, as you know, uh, he actually, uh, and we're going to have a lot more on this tomorrow, he held a press conference over there uh, after some of those NATO meetings. Uh, but this tweet interests us from Paul Farhi, our good friend over the Washington Post. He wrote this, Biden held his first press conference as president after 64 days in office. No president has waited longer in the past 100 years. There hasn't been a second one 77 days later. Also, no TV or print interviews. Maybe this is important or not, but it is a fact and unusual. Let's uh, bring Paul Farhi in uh, from The Washington Post, a uh, media reporter there. Uh, Paul, always good to see you, sir. Likewise, David. Thank you for inviting me. Why don't you expand a little bit about on, the, on this tweet, because uh, this has been a criticism of Biden and the administration, and you, people start to question, you know, what's the motive exactly? Well, why wouldn't he do it? And I think people are coming to the conclusion that, well, maybe... You know, he, he's been challenged, uh, clearly, uh, mentally. He's had some gaffes, uh, quite a few. So, so maybe this is part of it. I don't know. What, what's your take? I'm not going to go that far, and I'm not going to get into his mental state, which, of course, is a kind of right-wing attack on him. But leave that aside. The very fact is, objectively, he hasn't given a lot of press access. Uh, he hasn't given a lot of uh, press interviews. He's given a few. Uh, and uh, only two uh, press conferences in the first however many months it's been since he uh, took office. So it, as I wrote in that tweet, it's unusual. Uh, it's also a fact. And uh, the reason I wrote it that way is because I knew I'd get pushback because uh, I always get pushback whenever I point out or whenever anyone in the media points out that the president doesn't give a lot of uh, access to the media. And people always want to defend the president. Uh, it's not just the right wing or the left wing. It's, it depends on uh, who your ally is and who your politician is. Uh, they all push back against the press. And I knew that would happen in this case, and it did. Paul, let's do a follow-up on that. You say it's unusual. I mean, obviously, the question then becomes why. Let's take right wing, left wing. Let's take it all. Let's take all that out of the equation for a moment. Forget the politics of it, though. Politics is always involved. What, what, do, what do you think would be the reason for something like that? I mean, uh, the, uh, there's got to be some hypotheses here at some point. Yeah, and I, I, I don't think it's uh, a great uh, mystery. I think he did this during the campaign as well. It's a strategy. All presidents, all politicians have a media strategy. Biden's strategy is to not get overexposed and to not subject himself to a lot of media scrutiny. Um, it just is the way he approaches the, the job. And I have to say, as far as not in terms of our interest in the press, but as far as his uh, ratings and approval among the public, it seems to work for him. Now, Trump had a different strategy. Obama had a different strategy. You know, I mean, it depends on the individual. You can go down to the mayor of the town or the dog catcher. They all have a different approach. Sometimes more is, 
is, is more and sometimes uh, less is more. And I think in Biden's case, he's determined that less is more. One last follow-up on that. You say here Biden has kind of a strategy to not subject himself to media scrutiny, or uh, those are roughly the words you said. Um, so wh why, why would that be? Why would he not want to subject himself to media scrutiny? Well, I think because he has many other ways of getting his message out. Uh, you can argue with the message if you want, but uh, this is the way he and his uh, staff have determined they will communicate with the public. They can go on Twitter. They can go into the press briefing, which was restored to a daily basis uh, by Biden. Um, they've got lots of ways to communicate now that, uh, that in some ways, and this has been before uh, Biden, before Trump, that they can go around us and well, uh, they utilize those those uh, tools and techniques. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, beyond a right wing talking point, there's still some people that are going to say, hey, look, he, he's he's had a pension for, you know, he called himself a gaffe machine. This is Biden's own words. So you would think that that's got to definitely be part of the strategy. But, yeah. you know, go yeah. ahead. I think that's a reasonable thing. And they want to minimize the gas. But I have to tell you, since he took office, there haven't been that many gas. Uh, and uh, so maybe the strategy is working. Well, okay. I'll to, <laughs> Paul, I'll have you on another time. I've got a, I've got a blooper reel of about four or five minutes long, but we can talk about that some other time. I want to bring in uh, the Wuhan lab leak story that you mentioned, or that you wrote, actually, in the Washington Post. Uh, the headline reads, the media called the lab leak story a conspiracy theory. Now it's prompted corrections and serious news reporting. What's your take on, on what's happened here, Paul? Yeah, I think the media has caught up to the notion that the lab leak theory is not a kook theory, that it does have some plausibility, if not uh, being confirmed outright. And uh, this was not the case early on. Um, there wasn't uh, significantly a whole lot of scientific support for it. There is much more now, and the media is catching up to that. Um, you know, I know this gets politicized because uh, Trump weighed in. Trump says definitely uh, came out of the lab. Uh, it was a leak. The Chinese are responsible. That still remains to be seen uh, if that's true. We don't really know if that's true. Uh, but I think when he said that back in, I believe, April of last year, it, it kind of politicized the, th the whole thing. And I think the well, people shut yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I didn't mean to cut you off there. I, what I was going to say is, though, though the, the truth of the matter is, media at the time were calling it a kook theory, as you said. I mean, they, they were saying it's a kook theory, and, and uh, everybody got ripped, and now it's, it, it's something potentially far different. Yeah, um, there was some of that. And the Washington Post, uh, to be totally honest here, called it a conspiracy theory, and we've walked that back. It's, it's not a conspiracy theory. And we also said it was debunked. It hasn't been debunked. debunked. But I don't think kook theory is really uh, the characterization. I think it was more dismissed and ignored more than anything yeah. uh, if it reported on at all. I've got less than a minute left, but there's also this. Uh, I want to show you a New York Times headline. This is about another story that was in the news about how, uh, remember this is a year ago, this is the New York Times, protesters dispersed with tear gas so Trump could pose at church. And now we find out that's just not true. Uh, that this uh, this report came out, uh, Interior uh, General, uh, excuse me, Interior Inspector report, saying that that's just not true. So I want to get your take because it does seem like the media has some egg on their face here on some of this, Paul. I mean, if truth be told. Well, at, at the time, and again, we're only really can be responsible for what we know at the time, that was the word that was uh, being put out by various officials. They were wrong. Um, uh, I don't know that the White House specifically disputed that. They may have. 
but it was not clear at the time who exactly did what and ordered what. Um, it, so, you know, right. you can, it's always easy to fault reporting in hindsight. We do it all the time, but it is only hindsight at this point. Paul Farvey, Washington Post media reporter. Really appreciate you being here back on the show with us. Thanks for your time, sir. Thank you, David. All right. Um, look, you might not agree uh, with the media uh, from time to time or maybe all the time, uh, but you got to have voices from all sides on this show. We must have them. Fair and balanced? I've heard that somewhere. Anyhow, back in a moment. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Uh, Joe Biden, president of the United States, got 81 million votes, by the way. Have you heard? Uh, anyhow, uh, Joe Biden versus V. Joe Biden v. Vladimir Putin. That's coming Wednesday to a summit near you. It's actually in Geneva, Switzerland. Uh, and we want to get more details about that specific uh, uh, summit and what, me what it means exactly for U.S.-Russia relationships going forward. That's hard to say, especially on a Monday after a long weekend. Nan Hayworth uh, joining us now, the uh, former congresswoman uh, back with us on the water cooler. Nan, great to have you, as always. And to be with you, David. Thank you. Well, uh, Joe Biden, uh, Vladimir Putin, give us a sense of, of what should be happening during the summit, what you expect to happen, and uh, the, the relationship between the two uh, superpowers. So I want to give you an analogy, uh, David. I want to offer one. Uh, it, Vladimir Putin is like a laser jet printer. You know, you, you may not agree with what he's putting out, but it's sharp, it's crisp, it's... Uh, uh, you know, very high performing thing. Joe Biden is an old inkjet printer running out of toner really fast. <laughs> so, he will, you know, the occasional word will come out clearly, uh, but there are a lot of skips, there are a lot of blobs, there are a lot of blurs. Uh, this is our problem. Joe Biden is not sharp, uh, and he is going to be steamrolled by Vladimir Putin, uh, especially given the apparatus he has chosen to manage or has that has been chosen for him to manage his foreign policy, which is all too accommodative and capitulatory conspicuously, but certainly not exclusively toward Iran, toward the Palestinian Authority. So our allies uh, certainly view him as malleable, but our adversaries uh, view him as vulnerable, and rightly so. <laughs> that analogy is actually perfect. And, you know, it's interesting because when Trump met with Putin uh, back uh, during his presidency, uh, there was concern about there not being anybody there specifically uh, when they were meeting in private. Uh, this time, they want everything documented. My guess is because, who knows, Biden could probably forget half of it and, and maybe call uh, Syria Libya. Uh, who the heck knows what he's going to do? Yeah. Well, well, that's just it. I mean, he really, he is not functioning on all cylinders. And arguably, when he was, uh, the best he could do was bluff. But when you're face-to-face -face with Vladimir Putin, you had better have all your facts in order, all of your arguments prepared, all of the nuances that you need, particularly since Biden's meeting with Erdogan of Turkey before this, 
Uh, you know, and Turkey is playing Russia versus the United States right now, and it takes a lot of uh, a lot of uh, subtlety uh, to understand how to manage those various leverage points. And sure. the Biden administration thus far has just been, well, let's just yield to you. Let's just give you what you want and hope you'll be nice. Yeah, the Erdogan thing's a tricky one. Uh, I can't get to it now. We got to move on. But you know, Trump. I, I mean, I've got to say, in all fairness, I mean, I, I thought Trump actually didn't handle that situation very well. I mean, Erdogan's a bad dude. I mean, he's a bad dude. Yeah. And and this idea that Trump was trying to kind of placate Erdogan to a degree, I, I don't know, whatever. Anyhow, we'll get into the geopolitical stuff later. All right, let's move on a little bit to the cancel culture uh, wars, if you will. How about this one, uh, uh, Nan? We saw this one and we said, hey, wait a minute. We've got to talk to Nan about this. Cancel culture now going after Apple Pie. I'm not playing around. Apparently, uh, it's got some racist uh, undertones. Uh, it came from I, I can't even I can't even fathom what they're even talking about because what it had some some sort of lineage history in this country. What are they talking about, Nan? Well, the author of the piece, David, attacks all kind, not just apple pie and the apples in apple pie and what their actual origins were over the course of uh, generations and millennia. He goes after chocolate. He goes after uh, all kinds of other popular uh, items in our culture and how they represent various forms, oppression and domination and subjugation. The simple fact of human history, uh, the sad, simple truth is that uh, it has always been a struggle for resources. Indigenous peoples in North America had vicious and brutal and bloody and deadly battles among themselves uh, for uh, eons before the, the European settlers arrived in North America with their superior technology. And yes, they introduced certain illnesses that also unfortunately decimated indigenous populations. So that is a sad but true aspect of history. The happy truth about history is that cultural exchange has been part of our history forever as well. Every migration brings a mixing of influences mm -hmm. and uh, that can be agricultural and it could be cultural, it can be biological and all of those things have occurred. You cannot have pure lines uh, through any aspect of human history uh, without understanding their context. This is just a silly, stupid argument. Enjoy your apple pie. And yeah, America is a wonderful place of blending and mixing. Hooray. Yeah. For, exactly. Yeah. Instead, I'll have the red fruit pie. I mean, what am I going to call it? Come on, give me a break. Uh, all right. So let me ask you about this last cancel culture headline we saw here. A New Jersey school district is stripping are you kidding me? All holiday names off the school calendar. Students now just have <laughs> days off. You know, it's interesting because when my kids, uh, uh, I guess I would say about, about 10 years ago or so, we started to see this. It was no longer Christmas break. It was winter break. Uh, but now apparently it's just all out, uh, out of the closet, if you will. I mean, it's, it's all out there. Uh, what do you make of what they're doing here now? You know, David, it, 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 schools, it, certainly public schools, should be a place of acculturation. So, you know, in our culture, we have uh, celebrated certain things. We can certainly celebrate new things. Uh, and certainly Columbus Day has uh, a history that for some is very complicated. Uh, but I think to try to strip everything of any potential implication that may somehow be offensive to one or another uh, family in your community, 
it, it reduces the resilience of kids, for one thing, um, but it also clearly, uh, you know, strips out uh, context for everybody. Uh, and, and that's a loss. So I, I don't think this is a wise thing to do. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's along the lines of many other rhetorical trends that we see. Uh, far better for us to uh, yeah. share them and confront them and make our arguments as, uh, as we may. 100%. Dr. Nan Hayworth, former U.S. Congresswoman. Always great to see you on Mondays. You're, you're like a regular. We love you. So thanks for being here. It's my favorite regular. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, and we're not decaf, by the way. We are extra caffeinated when it comes to regular coffee, FYI. All right, when we come back to last sip, here's a story for you. Imagine getting um, swallowed by a whale. Back in a moment. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Time for the last sip. What did you do this weekend? Hey, for me... I like Broadway musicals. I'm just going to say it. So I went and saw In the Heights. Loved it. Two thumbs up. 10 out of 10. Just phenomenal. It was great. I like, look, Lin-Manuel Miranda, don't agree with the politics too much. Too much? Too much? What am I, British all of a sudden? Too much? Uh, but he was fantastic in this. But that's not what I want to talk about uh, here on The Last Sip. So while I was watching In the Heights and um, to my second tub of popcorn, uh, check out this. <laughs> Uh, how, about, how about this Massachusetts uh, diver? He's a lobster diver, uh, and he was swallowed. <laughs> Wait, what? He was swallowed, and he was spit out by a humpback whale. So let me get this straight. I'm sitting in a movie theater eating popcorn, uh, gaining carbs by the second, and this guy is literally getting eaten uh, by a whale. Uh, hello, hashtag Jonah. Hashtag Bible, hashtag Jonah Bible. Uh, his name is Michael Packard, a lobster diver near Massachusetts, Provincetown. He was doing that. All of a sudden, boom, it's black. He's like, what's going on? Now, I know what you're thinking. I thought the same thing. This didn't happen. Give me a break. Hey, so apparently he was rushed to the hospital. The folks that were with him on the boat actually saw the whale come out of the water right where he was at. Uh, anyhow, we've got a little soundbite from him that we've got to play. Once again, this is, uh, I like, let's just call him Jonah. You know, let's call him Jonah. Here's Jonah from this weekend. I realized you were in a whale? And then I realized after I said it's, it's not a shark, the only other thing is I just got eaten by a whale. <laughs> Madison, where do you find these stories? This is great. Yeah, I love the quote. I just got eaten by a whale. That's all he did. By the way, did he look like George W. Bush? Separate issue. Uh, but, hey, he's fine. <laughs> He's fine. Clearly, he's fine. He's doing interviews. Uh, he has some soft tissue damage, uh, but no broken bones. Uh, this is fascinating. Apparently, I was doing some research because, you know, I do have to prepare for the show. And uh, when I was doing research, apparently humpback whales, they don't do this type of stuff. They don't actually, like, uh, swallow people whole. Uh, but apparently in this case, it did happen. Uh, even authorities now saying that they believe the story is true. So maybe it's just a fish story. Is that what it's called? Is it a fish story? And out of, out of what? Out of fish? I don't know what it's called. Email me at thewatercooleratjustthenews.com. I'm just an anchor. I don't really know what the, what, the, what the phrase is. Anyhow, there it is. So I hope you had a great weekend. But my guess is your story, whatever it was this weekend, is not as good as being eaten by a humpback whale. That doesn't happen unless you're Jonah. Back in a moment. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. End of the show. Hey, look who's here. It's not Joe Weber. 
It's Nick Ballasey. Nick, you are in the seat today. Good to see you, sir. Great to see you, David. <laughs> All right, Nick. Why am I laughing? I don't know why I'm laughing. Uh, infrastructure. You're, you're the man on the Hill. What's going on with infrastructure? Because we hear this bipartisan framework, but is it really going to happen? What's, what's going on? Yeah, so it looked like those talks were starting to fall apart uh, as of a few weeks ago, but this is still very much alive. There's a bipartisan group of senators working with the White House, trying to figure out some sort of plan. It could be about $1 trillion we're hearing right now. And it looks like the reason why it's still alive is because Manchin and Cinema, one of the senators, uh, two of the senators that don't want to eliminate the legislative filibuster, mm -hmm. may also not be sure about using budget reconciliation again, like they did for the rescue plan, mm -hmm. uh, for infrastructure. They may not be on board with that. So the Democrats need their support. And that's part of the reason why there's a bipartisan group going on, not just uh, with Republican members, mm -hmm. you got the Democratic members talking and maybe coming up with a measured plan that's a lot more targeted and smaller than what the White House was putting out. It was like $4 trillion originally. Right. So that's interesting because basically Democrats have a potential of not having anything here. If they can't get Manchin or Cinema on board with budget reconciliation, because that's what they wanted to do, right? They wanted the smaller package on the bipartisan nope. way and then put the rest of the social welfare infrastructure stuff in budget reconciliation. But if they can't get right. that, they got to get something, right? Exactly, exactly. And that's what it looks like. The backup mm -hmm. plan was, well, if we can't get a bipartisan deal together, we'll do budget reconciliation mm -hmm. like we did with the rescue plan. Oh, the whole thing. The whole thing. And maybe even tied into regular appropriations. Mm -hmm. uh, one committee member in the House, Democrat, mm -hmm. actually referred to it as a grab bag where they could actually put all kinds of measures in their infrastructure, maybe even issues unrelated to infrastructure, mm -hmm. in that bill and do it through budget reconciliation. But if they can't get their own party on board right. with Manchin, Cinema. Uh, you know, it's going to be difficult to get that done. So this bipartisan deal looks like something that really uh, needs to happen in yeah. order to uh, get a package done on infrastructure. It's fascinating. Joe, it's fascinating. Joe Manchin, Chris, uh, Kirsten Cinema, like the, the, the threads that hold the democracy in a way together, or at least all of this together. Thanks so much. Yep, right, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, tomorrow on the show, hey, I'm just going to read it in prompter. Look, Dr. Kelly Ward will be here, the Arizona GOP chairwoman. Big deal out there in Arizona. We will get to that. Also, Renato Mariotti will be here, former federal prosecutor and Congressman Brian Babbitt. That's a show. See you tomorrow, everybody.